Hey everyone, and welcome to Spiel Chicago, the podcast exploring feminist and progressive work in Chicago theater. My name is Smyra Yan, and in this episode, I have four incredible, smart, and entrepreneurial guests talking with me about DIY theater. I sat down with Catherine Lamb, Denise Serna, Olivia Lilly, and Savannah Rich to discuss what DIY theater is, who it's for, and what to know if you want to start producing your own work. Hi, ladies. Hello. Hi. Hello. Thanks so much for joining me. This is really exciting. I'm glad to have you here. Let's just go around and everyone introduce themselves. I'm Savannah. Um, I'm a playwright, and I sort of co-run a company called Eternal Cult, which uh, produces mostly work that I write. My name is Catherine Lamb. I'm the artistic director of Dandelion Theater. Hi, I'm Olivia. I'm a writer-director, uh, kind of an auteur, and I just recently started a uh, production company called Pop Magic, which will do micro-budget runs of shows, and we also throw weird parties. <laughs> cool. Uh, I'm Denise. I'm a director and collaborator. The things that I tend to do tend to be mixing different performance mediums and language to create experiences that everyone can access whether or not they're art people my next question is does anyone remember the first play you ever saw yes yeah yes i saw wizard of oz when i was in the third grade and i distinctly remember it was in my grad school uh letter to be to apply to grad school and I didn't realize that the yellow brick road wasn't real until after the show when I went up and I was touching things and it blew my mind that things could be so magical and it was sort of uphill from there. I remember um, I was like in second grade and uh, the high school, uh, like the other like Catholic high school did Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, but in the, in our like giant gymnasium. So they just sort of like did a dance number in this like really strange space. And I just remember when they were all like raising their arms in unison at the end. And I just remember thinking, I want to make that. <laughs> well, I was fortunate to grow up in a university town, which is Champaign-Urbana. And um, they have the Cranet Performing Arts Cranet Center. And uh, I remember being really excited about the Mikado when I saw it. Um, and I know that that's a problematic musical, um, in some ways, but, um, no, it was that thing of like these costumes and so much like spectacle, I think. And I, I don't really like musicals, but like that one at that age really spoke to me. I grew up in Minneapolis in South Minneapolis and, uh, both my parents were tech theater people at the Guthrie. So I think I saw plays there like before I can remember it. And then my, in my neighborhood in South Minneapolis, there's a yearly Mayday parade that this, um, the local like puppet theater puts on and so there's you know they do these big puppets and then they march down to the park and they have like a you know mystical spring pageant so that was probably <laughs> that's probably actually the first play that i saw cool it's amazing to me that you had a local puppet theater yeah oh yeah we have a lot minneapolis is weird <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> Let's talk about DIY theater. We were emailing, or you sent me an email earlier because I was calling it self-producing, but it's not exactly self-producing. So what is DIY theater? I would say it's uh, operating outside of the model of the regional theater um, and sort of operating under the uh, uh, post-recession sort of uh, means and is actually like more affordable now. It, like, it feels more tied to the moment. Um, yeah, I'd say that's my definition. 
It's really hard to define, right? Like I've had this conversation a lot of times and I was like, how are we going to define this on this podcast? Um, Because it's so nebulous. And in Chicago, like are we saying all small storefront companies are Mm -hmm. DIY? And like where is the line between DIY? I mean, I guess in practice, I think of it kind of like you do, um, Olivia, in terms of like a a structure that's not trying to recreate uh, large or mid-sized regional theaters. Well, describe the way that you produce your work because you produce a lot of your own plays, right? Right. So for me, it's more clearly different because I'm a playwright producing my own plays. But, um, you know, that same model, like Young Jean Lee's Theater Company was also a company created to produce her own plays. But I don't know that we would call that DIY theater. Catherine, you <laughs> created a company to produce new work. Is that correct? Um, it wasn't specifically to produce new work, but it ended up being kind of... <laughs> Um, it's kind of in parallel with like a more traditional model of buying the rights for something and producing it. So, um, but yeah, a huge part of what I wanted to do by forming a company was help create community. And we have a great community here, but I think sometimes it's, it's small and it's big at the same time and people can get lost in that. And so, um, a huge part of what I wanted to do was create a way for people to feel more connected a huge part of what we do is something called the Make Ready. So that happens every other month. And that's just an opportunity for new works to basically get cold reads like on the night. So for me, like the DIY aspect is a, it like hugely relies on the Chicago community, like being able to access people and then find us and building off of all the wonderful talent we already have here. Denise, what kind of work have you um, produced that might fall under like a DIY umbrella? So the work that I've self-produced in Chicago tends to be immersive. This idea of creating entire experiences where folks can wander around and pick and choose which parts of the subject matter that they want to interact with. And that came from, um, I did a lot of devised work when I was in graduate school with people who I didn't speak the same language as. So I did devised work with people in Bali and devised theater with um, female refugees. And so I had these intense language barriers that we had to get over, but still had to create, still wanted to create together. And so we started to use pictures and dance and music and and puppets and what in the architecture will speak to what we're saying. And so as my aesthetic grew and as my practice grew and I started producing things on my own, it became sort of this collage type work. Um, And I think that's another subversion of the regional theater play model. It's not, it's, it's not trying to find that beginning, middle, end. It's this is the question, this is the conversation that we want to have. Perhaps you're someone who responds to dance. Perhaps you're someone who responds to spoken word or lecture, or you just want to silently walk through a gallery, or you want to sit up here and smoke hookah and interact with it that way. So how can we create a platform for everyone to be involved in this dialogue, regardless of, of what their entry point may be? Cool. Yeah. That's not like something you can pitch to writer's theater. That's definitely no. something you just have to like do <laughs> somewhere. Mm-hmm. Savannah, you're a playwright. Mm -hmm. How did you start producing your own work? Like, what was your, was it something you always thought you would do? Or was there a turning point where you were like, I just have to do this myself? I I did always think I would do it. It's sort of more my sort of like producing origin story is that I went to NYU for playwriting for undergraduate. And I was like, okay, great. I'm going to be a playwright. I'm going to like get discovered and be famous. (laughs) And I just like for all kinds of reasons was just there and had this big feeling like, no, like there's no, there's no place for me here. There's no place for me in this world. And, you know, they, 
and they're you know they're telling you how to write which is fair because you're 18 but I was like no <laughs> um and I I know it's sad <laughs> they were, yeah I was really I was really difficult I think um but so I ended up dropping out after a year and I had this sort of narrative at the time of like I'm just not going to be an artist because I I don't feel comfortable um, I don't feel comfortable waiting to be noticed, waiting to be mm-hmm. chosen. It felt mm-hmm. really powerless to me. So, so I was like, I'm not going to be an artist. I'm just going to live. And I like <laughs> went back to Minneapolis and there was a theater, like a punk theater in Minneapolis called Bedlam. And they had this like old studio behind a bar and they were making this crazy, crazy theater. And it was just like stuff that I had never seen before. Like and what kind of stuff? They have a, um, at the time they had like a monthly party, just a huge cabaret party, a news show, like a Saturday Night Live style news show. And there was an act I remember where two people on rollerblades would just hit each other with sticks. And it was just like, it went, it was like, the crazy feeling about it was the audience. Like it felt like a rock show. People would be screaming and like throwing beer cans on stage. And it was so wild. And I don't like want that to happen at my shows now but like <laughs> after coming from NYU and like trying to focus on like what you're supposed to do in theater I was like oh you don't have to do what you're supposed to do you can do you can make this any way you want and it was like so empowering and there's another uh, theater group sort of within the punk world the Missoula Albangada who were making plays on a really low budget and touring around and I saw some of their work and I was really excited that they were touring essentially like a punk band. Um, they had, you know, a van and they would go from place to place and set up for the night and do the show in like a music venue or a gallery or, you know, maybe a theater um, and then leave the next day. And so all of that, and that's what I do now. Um, and so all of that kind of led to this, like, what if the structure of theater making could be more like a band than um a theater company necessarily maybe it's like I play an instrument you play a different instrument let's collaborate maybe just for this tour maybe for longer cool yeah that punk aesthetic I feel like I see it in your work a lot Olivia yeah that's interesting like I loved hearing your backstory soon I didn't know any (laughs) of that I knew like a very little bit um but when I moved first moved to Chicago I like had spent the year before like writing a screenplay and I was just like I'm gonna do it so I like put out a casting call and all these people showed up <laughs> three months of work for a weekend run but that's okay I was 23 <laughs> so <laughs> um and uh then I just then I started uh the parlor which is a DIY venue like I, I was hanging out with all these uh internet poets um from the alt-lit scene uh steve rogan buck no one knows who these people are i was gonna say what is an internet poet is that just like someone who operates exclusively on the internet yeah well steve rogan buck actually has stuff in the art institute now because this was a thing and then it went away um but that was sort of uh i started programming them and then some guy was like i want to throw a noise show and then we threw a noise show and i was like what is a noise show (laughs) noise is like um uh, like musicians that are sort of performance artists that are sort of like uh interested in the sounds of things that are sort of uh they dress up in costumes and it's like kind of what bedlam it kind of fit in that i bet people could play we that had a lot of noise shows yeah, at yeah. Bedlam. yeah i mean i think the theory of it is kind of similar to all like the theory of noise music of like a song can be anything a song can be noise a mu- music can be whatever is audible 
Totally. So I got really obsessed with the idea that I wanted my actors to be like noise musicians in their performance because noise musicians aren't worried about becoming famous because no one really wants to hear them anyway. So when they get to play, like when the venue is like, hey, you can do a show, they're so grateful and they're just so happy performing that I was like, okay, I need to figure out as a director how to get these actors to do that and go, like living at, at the parlor which was a former tattoo parlor and in the basement it used to be a porn studio where they like shot porn in the in the mid 2000s there there was a green marble room we used to do like noise shows down there that were very ritualistic um but yeah like and and especially the experimental like comedians like just like these weirdo comedians end up in my being in my space that was also hugely influential um, like Ian Abramson, who is uh, he was recently on uh, on uh, Conan and he wore a dog collar and he had an audience member shock him if he said a bad if his joke fell flat. <laughs> and I like for I, like he came to me and I like produced all his like weirdo one night only like he threw a fake funeral. And I feel like our our friendship like and our like collaboration really had a huge impact on me. So it seems like DIY theater allows for a lot more of that kind of auteur work that you couldn't necessarily, you know, go to a more established theater and be like, I have this vision. When especially in trying to tell the stories of those who have been historically marginalized and where scripted narratives don't exist all the time or don't exist at all, at least in my experience and in my professional life, I have existed largely in spaces where uh, stories that were familiar to me were not present. And so part of the theater that I made come from came from wanting those stories and um, having been the person in undergrad who was the only person who looked like me, who sounded like me, who was from the sort of life that I was from and feeling like I wasn't always welcome in the traditional uh, plays that they were putting up. As a director, it was it was really easy to identify those sorts of people and be the person compassionate enough to ask them for their stories and to tell their stories. Yeah, I think um, DIY definitely affords a lot of freedom. Then I, I always feel like, oh, God, the buck stops with me. Like, if I don't do it, it's not going to happen. Mm. But at the same time, that means um, someone else isn't telling you how to do it or what it should look like. Um, you can change halfway through and you're not disappointing someone who's like, but we gave you the money to do this. Like, um, so yeah, I think I agree with that. Like it gives you the opportunity to really look around and see what stories are missing or what stories really you connect to that you're like, oh, no one's telling this or, yeah. As you were talking, Catherine, I was like, oh, maybe that's what DIY is. It's like the artist as producer, right? Because mm -hmm. even if you're in a small storefront company and there's not a lot of funding, um, there's like a division of roles between artist and producer. Even if you play both of those roles at different times, there's like a, and I'm not sure how your company works. It, yeah, we're very small. So yeah. I'm, I say I'm the artistic director, but I'm the managing director, the producing artistic <laughs> yeah. director. You know, I, it's like doing it all kind of thing. And I have several people who are excellent and really help me and I couldn't do it without them because that would be crazy. But um, yeah, I think that's true that the, it's that idea of, um, uh, less division of roles and being m more hands-on producing mm -hmm. while also, for instance, with body awareness, I was completely producing that while directing it as opposed to like someone will handle the like organizational stuff while I focus on, you know, what I want to be on stage. And I think that leads to like, um, you know, making sacrifices as far as like, I can't spend all this time yes. on my artistic mm -hmm. vision, but it also means that someone's not, you know, limiting that in any way. 
I want to go back to this question of DIY theater as artist as producer. Um, I studied a lot of device the American device theater ensembles in college, and a recurring theme was that there would be this charismatic leader with like new and interesting ideas about art and the way it's supposed to be produced, and they would kind of get this ensemble. I'm talking about like the Wooster Group, the Living Theater specifically is the really extreme version of this. Um, and their ethos was very like, this is egalitarian. Everyone is an equal creator. Everyone is in equal partnership. But there was always a tension between that leader and their vision and honoring the the vision and the input of the other contributors. It never actually was like this like communist ideal ensemble. Not that all DIY theater is, but do you guys ever experience that sort of conflict between your vision and the people that you, the actors, the designers, whatever that you need to see it out? Um, I experienced it a lot within myself. I mean, I think this is something that um, is like really a female artist thing, right? I was like, oh, I can't just take all the space I want. I can't let it be about my vision and my idea and have other people work for my vision even if you know that's a that's something they've entered into willingly but I couldn't take that in and so it, there was like a time when I tried to do devised theater and I really tried to like you know everyone's equal but like it was it was really hard and it was really bad it was like the play was really bad and it was really hard for everyone in rehearsal because everyone was sort of like this is your play we agreed to be in it you know and that's the thing of like an actor or performer or whatever the collaborator is like they know what they're agreeing to. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I think it's just respectful to allow everybody to make that choice and um, to play the role that they've signed up to play. That's really interesting. Has anyone else experienced anything like that? Yeah, when I started The Runaways, I, I was starting to build it as like a Wooster model of like me and these like are my actors that I like. They're like my superhuman artist creative forces. And then eventually they were like, actually, we want to be, we want to make our own work too, but using your model. And I was like, at first I was like, oh, no, but what about me? But then I was like, wait, no, this is awesome. And I should have like stopped trying to get in the way of where this is growing. And now like my actors who've, who've starred in like different shows repeatedly are like writing and directing their own like strange visions that fit within the the uh the mission of the runaways but are totally their aesthetic and not my aesthetic but totally influenced by all of us um and it's so exciting so like it and it's fun when i get to see it because i'm just like oh my god this is filled with everything i like <laughs> you sweethearts yeah i would say I, wouldn't, I haven't had any like really direct tension um i think but it brings up this question for me of like like you're saying like sharing the spotlight or that kind of stuff and i think um you know when when you're doing the producing and the deciding and all the stuff that's involved in that i really enjoy being able to say this is your show you know you figure it out <laughs> um i will play my part and i will do a lot of heavy lifting for sure but i i, I like being able to um, give people opportunities to express themselves because I mean that's what I that's kind of what Dandelion is to me and why I did it is like a chance to have that opportunity so a huge part of that is like giving other people the opportunity um, when you mentioned Denise the kind of theatrical productions that you do where it's very interactive and um, Olivia too that you can curate your experience by moving around 
I've seen two what I would call maybe not mainstream, but like larger house productions like that. The Hypocrites with their like Gilbert and Sullivan series that they did. The audience could walk around and, and move and also Learning Curve at Albany Park Theater Project. And so I feel like it's a really interesting way that the fringe is impacting the mainstream. Um, and there are people who like that and people who don't. <laughs> um, what are you guys thoughts on that? Do you think do you think it is a goal of DIY theater or fringe or punk theater to have that influence or does it not matter? I don't know that I don't know that the purpose would be to influence the form, but I like the idea that the fact that these shows do well, people enjoy them, people, they are successful influencing larger houses to have conversations in different ways. I think that's really exciting. So Mm. seeing theaters like Albany Park doing their immersive what it's like to be a high schooler watching them dance around in their desks and and all of that allowed people to enter that conversation in a different way than if they had gone to see it on a proscenium and so to allow those conversations to happen is really important I think we are influential in that way are there um topics or ideas in any of your work that you feel could only be done in this DIY theater setting like you couldn't probably couldn't pitch it or couldn't do it as well in a more institutional setting. Yeah, there's an interesting one of my friends saw Dorian and the cast is mostly uh, female and uh, gender nonconforming humans. There's no cis males in the play. And he said that because of like where it is and what it is, is that people were not symbols. People were people. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I don't think that could exist. Like if you put this play on step and like seminal stage, everyone would turn into a symbol and it would like totally ruin it. Do you hope that your work or this kind of work will have that sort of influence on more institutional theaters? Maybe not on the form, as you were saying, but in the kinds of content that can exist without being a commentary on anything? Absolutely. I think one day we'll all grow up and become artistic directors, maybe, mm -hmm. of big institutions. And then it's only a matter of time before the regime just sort of switches over. And right now we're sort of figuring out what that new regime will be. Um, it's, I just want to talk about the institution thing, too, because mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting. Because um, it's weird for me because I feel like my work doesn't belong within big institutions. And I would like it to because then I could be famous and successful. But it like like people <laughs> are like people literally use the Steppenwolf as an example all the time. Like, obviously, your work doesn't belong to Steppenwolf, which is it's funny because Denise and I both work there, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> a bartender there. And they're like, yeah, clearly not that. But, but there's like some truth to that. Like there's if there's like a, my work's really um, involved with um, audience engagement right now. And like this situation of like looking particular audience members in the eye and talking to them and like having like audience participation sounds horrible, but I'm just like really artistically engaged with the horribleness of that right now. Um, and so that it's like, you don't really want a, a huge house for it mm -hmm. and you want this intimacy and you want this like um and there's like things about it that I'm like I'm still curious about how I can keep the things that I like the most about my work and also like be ambitious and have hopes for the future that aren't I just want bigger and bigger audiences or I want to be you know I want my theater company to grow and be the new regional theater it's like I do want to grow but I don't want to grow into that because I feel like the system the theatrical system we have now um, it concerns me you know mm -hmm. and I like see people I see young people like 
young actors going to auditions and getting rejected and like people like playwrights sending things in, sending things in and feeling worthless and feeling like, like they're not needed. And Mm -hmm. what feels, what I'd like to see is like all of those young people like making their own work and taking Mm -hmm. their own power. And so I'm interested more in influencing like the larger system in a different way than getting into it as it is. Yeah, I almost think like these awards that certain development houses put give out and the staged readings, like you want a staged reading, congratulations, is actually in keeping people with under the regime of the institution rather than allowing them to develop their work in other ways. And that's I think that's actually like people don't realize the political power that development houses or development like um, institutions have by selecting work and then create workshopping it under their under their agenda mm-hmm. but frankly like, also i still want like support from the institutions mm-hmm. <laughs> like don't know how to i but don't know how but I, i'm like i, I mean i things. feel like the institutions just need to like rethink their strategy if they really want to like bring in new voices and not coddle them into what they want them to be what would that look like to you like if if a bigger house had a program like that, what would be the ideal version of that? Well, there's this, uh, the um, the Cleveland, there's some theater in Cleveland that's that's programming a lot of like works that are created by companies for those slots. I think it's the Cleveland devised public. Works, yeah, right, yeah, so it's, but it's, I mean, a devised work can totally still have like a playwright and like a director. It's just like, I feel like it. the only difference for me is that it it's, creating a new play for a specific time and place with specific people. It sort of is a microscope on this bigger question of theater is like perpetually dying air quotes Mm -hmm. because it, because it is not expanding. Like that's the weird, really weirdly specific capitalist view of it, that it's supposed to be getting bigger and bigger audiences, but like the bigger your audience, the lower the common denominator. Right. And I think it comes back to this idea of like, theater being for a specific group of people at that specific time and then disappearing and not going Mm -hmm. into the canon and necessitating new work and new stories and necessitating sort of smallness because it makes more sense for it to to start small and so i guess um diy theater is sort of it's it's a microcosm of what theater should be like constantly recycling and churning and houses opening and closing and it frustrates me that that scene is like failure or it's called unsustainable you know it's totally sustainable it's It's the only sustainable thing and i mean that's what's (laughs) happening like everywhere even like with television shows are getting there's more shows and they have a smaller audience there's a theater in pittsburgh the new hazlitt has a program that they call the csa program so they're modeling it on like the vegetable share whatever but it's like um the audience buys like a five ticket run to these um local companies that they get the slot in the CSA. Um, and so the sort of new structures are modeling like other things that are happening economically, I think. That's super interesting, like a co-op, like a theater yeah. co-op. Yeah. <laughs> Just buy your season. Right. But then like the subscription is the oldest idea. You know, that's like mm-hmm. something that people are like, subscription isn't working anymore. But like maybe some of these ideas can just transform. Mm. Do you guys ever worry that talking about sustainability the thing that institutions do allow is for a class of artists or a class of artisans and protections for their labor. Do you guys worry about that either personally or for like DIY or French theater in general? Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, why are we talking about institutions as like 
is the pinnacle is like they they have the money they have the money flow they have the support the infrastructure the processes and procedures that have been worked out over maybe decades maybe not whatever but um you know there's a huge safety net in being a part of that system but then you're part of a system i mean not that we aren't but it's it's like a much more uh fluid system and case by case kind of um setup so i think you know people aspire to that institution because it seems easier or safer or more secure even on a personal level i mean you know it's really hard to make a living mm -hmm. doing this um and so i think in a way like what we're talking about just comes back down to the money and mm -hmm. where's the money coming from um and how much effort do you have to put in to find that money um, and so, you know, like a development house is like, here's, here's time and money to do what you want to do. Um, so I think you're, you're balancing the personal risk with, um, the, the payoff of having that autonomy. Yeah, no, it's, it's very terrifying. And it's like, I do find what I'm doing to be potentially personally unsustainable. Whereas like the big institution seems like unsustainable as a structure in the, in the long term. And I like believe in this sort of smaller audiences, smaller pieces, um, local community theater. That's all like something that I'm passionate about. But it's like, yeah, where's the money? I don't know. I worry about it all the time. Yeah. And how do you how do you continue to I mean, relationships will keep art going for so long. But how do you continue to keep artists involved in your work if you cannot give them the financial security? Um, that comes from all of the time and emotional labor they're putting into your work. And part of being part of an institution means that you do have those those protections for them. You can get them health insurance and a venture card, you know, mm -hmm. which is huge, which is huge, especially for artists. My other obsession is entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And uh, with my new company, I'm um, spending a lot of time uh, evaluating the model that I well, for Dorian, that's like me and uh, my my partner are like like always like we're we keep very like careful books and we're like evaluating exactly where the money goes and all of that stuff and i'm i see it as like a puzzle to be solved and i especially um i'm looking for different like creative situations in which i can exist in a micro budget and i'm interested in the sexiness of the micro budget and my next show i will be paying the actors per performance um so we've built that in based on the whole model that we've created for like how big the house is how long it's running our next show is a partnership with the prop theater um so we have been collaborating very closely with them i also uh have a marketing assistant that i pay hourly um and i try to keep it so that the business is just me and her basically i also look to like i worked in the um the like the sort of sexy bar industry like i study them very closely i worked at lost lake and those people that run that are super geniuses and just watching all of the ways in which they come together to create this like theatrical production that involves these like fancy cocktails. How can I like, s like steal ideas and uh, from other industries about how to like, just make this more appeal, like theater more appealing to people who like hate theater. So I'm sort of like, yeah, I'm experimenting with what theater's role is in our, our day and how to like appeal to those who just their idea of theater is just like having to be forced to like their sister's like musical in high school or something. Right. Trying to change that. Uh, the sexiness of micro budgets, it's going to be your girl boss. It's going to be mm -hmm. like when you're a super success and you write a book. <laughs> sexiness of micro budgets. Micro. I love like the word micro. I think it's really trendy right now. And I think it's funny. <laughs> 
It definitely makes it sound cool. <laughs> like this play costs two hundred dollars. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I could do it for that cheap, but this is now Damn. a micro podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Okay. This last part, I would like, if someone is listening and is an artist who is getting those rejection letters, doesn't feel like they fit into the institutions and wants to make their own work, what are some tips? What is the first step? What are some mistakes that you made? What's some advice for those people? Just like put yourself out there and uh, be don't be afraid to like, I mean, be afraid, but get over it <laughs> to like, just make a fool of yourself making mistakes falling on your face and then learning from them i you know i think the first step is find like a couple of people that are gonna like you know these people it's not like like random like whoever but like the people that you're like let's do this together because it's gonna be really scary mm-hmm. right and it's gonna be hard particularly the first time those people will sort of give you the strength and the and the like you're the ability to talk about it and be like is this dumb how should we do this what what resources do we have I think um, not like putting pressure on yourself for it to be a certain thing or a certain way. Um, I personally have a lot of (laughs) problems when I feel like this is it. This is it forever. I'm going to be like this forever. Um, So it's like this is if you look at it as uh, the first of many things or the first of your journey, I think you get less hung up on what's the result or what's it going to be like. It's everything becomes an experience you learn from and then apply to whatever you're doing next, wherever you're at. Um, it's possible to do something and you just have to think about the parameters realistically and realize that's not always going to be the way it is and you can do things differently next time because there will be a next time Um, and so just uh, to get started (laughs) yeah when I moved here I didn't know anyone and now you have a huge network (laughs) yeah of people who will show up at a strange place at 10 p.m to see your show yeah in my first rehearsal like my first rehearsal for the first show I ever did in Chicago uh Oh, there was like a scene in the show where I was like, at this point, I was like, oh, we're just going to do this, right? Where people go skinny dipping. And so I decided that you're either with me or you're going to think I'm crazy. So I got naked in front of them. And I was like, I won't make you do anything that I won't do first. And some people quit, but (laughs) through just putting yourself out there, like as hard as you can, the people that like are down are going to like be like, yeah, yes. And then the people that are kind of lukewarm will just sort of scurry away. And it's better that you know who's who those people are as soon as possible. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say two things. I would say first, allow your aesthetic to be a thing that is always changing and always growing um, and allow it to be a thing that is fed not only by theater. Um, experience experience things that will that will grow that aesthetic and sometimes that means collaborating with artists whose work is absolutely different from yours and not always in the same language of performance and then second working hard and being kind are the things that push you the furthest to be the person who works hard to be the person who is kind to be the person who is thankful makes you the person that people want to work with again Oh my god, I agree with that so much. Yeah, I can't agree with that more. I think like also a huge part of the way I look at things is, you know, respecting people's time, respecting the individuals and where they're at. And um, I think that's a huge like cannot be understated how important it is to 
um, respect the people who are putting themselves out there for you mm -hmm. um, because there is so little financial or what I mean not that that excuses bad behavior but mm -hmm. um, there's so little payoff you know getting started with my company was kind of like I've seen some bad behavior and I want to show that that's not required like you don't have to do that to produce good work totally I'm so into like how can you enable the actor to like really feel like they're creative and not just like an interpreter Mm -hmm. um, I'm always trying to figure out ways of like giving people more agency in the room. Um, this has been awesome. Do you guys have any work that you want to plug before we close up? I am working on a play right now that I'm producing uh, a new play I wrote called Caveman Play, and it's being produced by my company, Eternal Cult. And uh, Caveman Play is a show in which two cavemen that are me and my friend John, we're the cavemen, and we are giving a presentation to you guys, the other cavemen. Um, the audience is the rest of the cavemen, and we are the first cavemen who've adopted agriculture. And so we're giving a presentation about how super cool agriculture has been, and uh, it's going really well. <laughs> <laughs> it's really it fun. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Don't worry about all of the starving and um, the working for 12 hours a day and, you know, being really miserable because it's going to be great if just you guys will stay and do it with us. Mm -hmm. And so we uh, sort of give this pitch for agriculture and then uh, in the end, the audience gets to vote on whether or not to adopt agriculture. So you guys have a chance to stop this horror show before it begins. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. That's wild. I feel like I could talk to you for an hour about just that show. <laughs> totally. Oh, and it's going to be, it's touring around. Um, and so it's going to be in Chicago on September 4th and 5th. September 4th in the back room at Quencher's Bar. September 5th at Mary's Attic. Cool. Um, yeah, so for Dandelion, we haven't announced our upcoming season yet. Um, so I would just say that uh, we have our ongoing reading series, The Make Ready, um, which happens every other month. So there'll be one in August and then October. It's actually our third year, well, our third birthday um, for that. Uh, so yeah, then and that's just a chance for um, playwrights to submit and actors to show up and join in. And um, uh, if you want to submit your writing, it's 10 pages and we read those 10 pages. So it can be like a part of something or a full play or we've had monologues or whatever it is. Um, and you just submit and then we pick like seven or eight pieces and then wonderful actors show up because we just said we're doing a thing. Um, and you can uh, get to hear some some never before heard work. Cool. I'm uh, creating a biopic about Eleonora Dusa, who was, um, according to George Bernard Shaw, the greatest actress who ever lived. She lived at the turn of the century. Um, uh, it's a biopic. It is also a dance pop drama, which is a genre that I'm currently inventing with Kelly Anderson Dance Theater. Um, so we just started rehearsals. We have like four months um, and it will run through um, New Year's. Uh, I've got a project coming up that's in two parts. The first part will be a workshop in London with a collaborator of mine. We're trying to invent a new form of device theater that breaks down the barriers of oceans and time zones. And so what we are doing is we are doing a workshop in London where we're all going to be devising around the topic of climate change and creating work and aspects of work with people who will join us in London. And simultaneously, we will have uh, colleagues all over the world meeting with their own ensembles in their regions, um, people from uh, Trinidad, Israel, Brazil, um, 
folks in different states, Switzerland, all over, and they will be working with their ensembles also devising, and we're trying to create a digital archive using things that are free, using things that already exist to connect this work. And then in the fall, so in Chicago at the end of October, beginning of November, we will host a climate change theater action where we will devise new work with Chicago actors using all of the things from workshops that we've done all over the world. All right. Thank you guys so much for coming over. This has been really, really fun. Thank you. Thank you. It's been awesome. Thank you. Thanks again for listening. And thanks to Catherine, Denise, Olivia, and Savannah for joining me for such an awesome conversation. Since we recorded in the summer, I have a few updates on these ladies' work. You can check out what they've got coming up on our show page at spielchicago.com. If you have any thoughts, comments, or rants about DIY theater, be sure to find us on Facebook or Twitter at Spiel Chicago. That's S-P-I-E-L Chicago. And also on Instagram at Spiel underscore Chicago. We would love to hear from you. That's all for now. Happy holidays to everyone who celebrates. Have a beautiful new year, and I'll see you at the theater.